Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jerry, for reading that very significant passage of Scripture this morning. Today's passage addresses one of life's pressing questions How do I find myself? What is my identity? Who am I at my core when I'm being totally honest with myself? What's the meaning of my life? Now, whether or not you're personally wrestling with this question at present doesn't change the fact that at some point along life's way, we all begin to answer the question by the decisions that we make and what we value how we spend our time. And regardless of any of our awareness of the reality of this question for ourselves, Jesus provides an answer, whether we're asking it or not. And it's a very arresting answer to the question of how do I find my life? In verse 25, he says, those who lose their life for my sake, we'll find it. Please, let's pray. Lord God, as we come before this final question that we are considering this summer, that you asked, would you grant us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to comprehend, wills to, to obey, all the ha- that you have for us in your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, all summer we've been considering questions that Jesus asked in a variety of contexts, all sorts of people, people who were deciding whether they wanted to follow Jesus, and especially his disciples who were, in one way or another, following Jesus. They had made the decision to follow. 
And the question before us today, the final in our series, what does it profit? Let's consider this question in order to understand it in its original context. Now, if you look in your bulletin or turn in your Bible to the part where uh, you'll find Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, you'll notice that the very first word in our passage is then. Well, this prompts an obvious question. Then? Well, when was then? Now, if you're looking in your Bible, look at the passage immediately above, and you'll find the answer. You'll also see it on the screen. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And so we see what happens in today's passage immediately follows Peter's rebuke of Jesus, where he scolded Jesus for suggesting that his destiny would end in suffering and in death. And as we see, Jesus proceeds to tell Peter in the strongest words possible that he could not be more wrong. His words, Peter's words, in fact, are the devil's words. It's a remarkable scene. It's more remarkable when you look at the section just above this one. You can look in your Bible, you can look on the screen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And here, Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded to him and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Here, in this place, Jesus gives Peter the highest praise. He tells him that his words are nothing less than God's revelation coming out of his mouth. Jesus has never said anything higher to anyone. And then, no sooner than the words have sunk into the minds of the rest of the disciples, than Peter blurts out the words of the devil, prompting Jesus' reply. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Why would Jesus say these words to Peter? It's such a forceful sentence and in front of all the other disciples, no less. I mean, the, the embarrassment. You know, there are parts of the gospel where Jesus is just plain gentle with people who are on the margins, the morally marginal, the 
socially marginal, women of the streets, the poor, the sick. Jesus calls them friends, little children. When Jesus speaks to religious and moral leaders, he's often harsher, calls them hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. But nowhere in all the accounts of Jesus' encounter with others does he ever give such a vehement denunciation as he does to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Why? That's the context that we need to understand as we consider today's passage. Because Jesus can't be followed without the cross. That's what Jesus told his disciples. Having told them that he must suffer, suffer Jesus goes on to say that any who follow him must likewise expect suffering. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. When we read in the Gospels, for the most part, in the early sections, the early part of Jesus' ministry, we find Jesus focused on inviting people to follow him. His teachings, his healings, his confrontation, confrontation of religious authorities, all of his miracles were, were the proclamation that God was doing something new and that he, Jesus, was Israel's long-awaited Messiah. He was the one who is to come. And so he said, follow me, to many. It all reaches a crescendo in Peter's confession. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then from that point on, Jesus begins to focus his teaching, not on the invitation to follow, although that's still there, but he teaches about what it means to follow him. Peter said he knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but his rebuke shows that he didn't know what kind of Messiah Jesus was and what it would mean to follow him, which brings us to this morning's passage and the question. Earlier this summer, Dr. Hilton mentioned a book by the great New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce. It's called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. The call to take up the cross is one of those hard sayings. Now, we should note that Jesus' sayings can be seen as hard or difficult in two different senses. Some of what Jesus says is hard because it's just difficult to understand. For example, what did Jesus mean when he spoke of those who see but do not see and hear but do not hear? And there are many others. Uh, in large part, we perhaps don't know them because either we lack the uh, expertise or familiarity with the Old Testament or we're unfamiliar with the cultural situation in which Jesus found himself. Then there are other sayings that are all too clear. They aren't all that difficult to understand, but they are difficult to hear. Mark Twain is often quoted as saying, it ain't those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. 
It's the parts that I do understand. Today's passage is one of those. It's just plain hard for any of us to hear Jesus call to lose our lives and to take up the cross because we do understand at least a little of what that means. It was difficult for the disciples to hear. They didn't want to. It was especially difficult for Peter. Now, some two millennia later, in common usage, it's become uh, a common phrase to say that, that, that someone is bearing a cross. And by that they mean that, oh, I have a problem, or there's a dynamic that's uh, just sort of a little uncomfortable. Maybe it's, it's an unpleasant situation that I just have to accept and deal with. Um, someone that I have to see that I don't want to see, but uh, that, you know, life just makes it impossible to avoid, and so I bear the cross of having to deal with that person. Um, it can be worse. But in the first century, in Jesus' world, a cross clearly meant only one thing, the worst possible form of execution imaginable. Jesus' path of suffering and death on the cross was such a cross. It's the ultimate example of obedience to the Father's will. And you can't follow Jesus without the cross. To follow Jesus means literally, if you look at the passage, coming behind him and then following him as Lord. The call to follow Jesus is nothing less than an invitation. It's an offering. An offering, friends, to liberate us from any other potential Lord that there might be. Lords that can be found in many places. Lords in the surrounding culture that command us or entice us or tempt us. Lords in any other aspect of our lives. Things that are bigger than we are, that we are attracted to, that we want to follow. And one of those lords or those calls to follow a Lord for all of us is the pension that we have to be the Lord of my own life. I want to be my own Lord. Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, if you want to call me Lord, turn away from all the other ways, including your own way, and come behind and follow me. What this means becomes clearer when Jesus next says, those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. I find this sentence vividly translated by the New Testament scholar Dale Bruner in his Matthew commentary. Whoever wants to save one's life will ruin it. If you try to do it on your own, you're going to make a mess of it. But whoever throws one's life away out of devotion to me will actually save it. 
In other words, the only thing we can do to save our life is to give it away, to forfeit it for Jesus' sake. Throw it out, out of devotion to him. The late preacher and pastor, Tim Keller, points out that there are two popular understandings of what it means to be saved. And Jesus addresses both of them here. One of these is the great tradition of Eastern religion, and it consists in a singular great denial of the self. Now, I don't want to pick on Eastern religion um, because there's certainly parts of the Eastern tradition that have much to say and critique of our Western way of materialism, and we ought to hear those critiques. But I do want to point out that Eastern religion teaches that the idea of some fixed self is an illusion. There is no self. The way to salvation is to come to grips with the fact that there is no self and to lose ourselves to be absorbed into the reality of the one thing of the universe. Now this may be an overly simplistic way of putting it, but I think it's for the most part accurately stated. On the other hand, the other way is the Western, modern tradition. And it's not about losing yourself, it's all about finding yourself. Immanuel Kant is representative. In fact, he probably started it or helped get it started. His famous challenge, dare to know. What he means was, don't trust anything else. Don't trust anyone else. No authority, no leader, no tradition. Have the courage to use your own reason. Find yourself by yourself. The Eastern tradition says that salvation comes through losing yourself. Jesus said to lose yourself, but he says that those who follow him must lose their life, not losing it in the Eastern way, which is just lose yourself, disappear, throw away your idea that you're an individual and become absorbed in the universe, stop thinking about your needs, your desires, just do your duty. That's not what Jesus is saying. He doesn't just say lose yourself. He says lose yourself for me. Follow me. Find yourself in me. And in this passage, Jesus says, look at my cross, allow that to shape your life. And so Jesus is saying, look at my cross, allow that to shape your life. He's not promising to take away our suffering. Friends, Jesus didn't suffer, so we don't have to suffer. His cross and, ours and, and suffering do not prevent us from suffering. But Jesus' life, death, and resurrection offer meaning to the pain and suffering of those who follow him. To lose our life for Jesus means that nothing other than Jesus has control over us. There are people to whom terrible things happen, tragic situations that threaten to control their existence ruin them. They feel like they're going to completely lose themselves in that. The way of the cross enables the possibility 
of finding some greater meaning in the midst of loss. I want to turn a little bit more now to the modern Western tradition, which says the opposite. If you want to be saved, find yourself. Create your own meaning. Find out what you most want to do, and then go get it. This is exactly what the devil tempted Jesus to do, or suggested that Jesus would do in the wilderness, when he said, you can have everything if you worship me. You can have all the power that there is if you worship me. And this is what Jesus rebuked Peter for when, he, when Peter suggested that Jesus didn't need to suffer, that it was wrong for the Messiah to suffer, that there wouldn't be a defeat, that Jesus could save the world by being more powerful than any power of the kingdom in the world had ever known, which was currently Caesar and the Roman Empire. And Jesus told Peter and the disciples and us that the only way to salvation is by losing your life for his sake, coming behind him, following him as Lord. Because we can't save ourselves, and power is not the way, earthly power is not the way to get there. Jesus drives his point home with two more questions, and we find them in verse 26. They draw on the language of the business world. He first appeals to the profit motive and compares the value of a person's life to the value of the whole world. And not just any hypothetical person, but, well, you or me. The King James Version and some modern translations use the word soul. What will it profit for me to gain the whole world but forfeit my soul? When Jesus speaks of gaining the whole world, it seems like he means this present world with all its riches. It's the idea that we might somehow earn the maximum profit imaginable, but at the cost of our very self. A financial windfall in exchange for our eternal life. The magnitude of such a loss is brought out by the second question. Jesus asks what anyone would give as an exchange for their life. The image is a bargain you might make to gain back your eternal life if somehow it had been lost. But friends, nothing in the language of business or commerce is relevant when we're talking about our very lives, our eternal lives. No material or earthly gain is comparable. And yet we all know people who have sacrificed who they are, have forfeited their lives in pursuit of some earthly gain. Sometimes not even very much. Sometimes unimaginable amounts. Many of these die young. Some are still living. Jesus further makes his point by putting things into an eternal context, and we find this in verse 27. In due course, this world with all its values is going to be over. And in the world to come, 
the profits that are made here and now will be seen for the shoddy things that they actually are in comparison with the glory of heaven and God. For the Son of Man is going to come, that's Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to come with the angels in the glory of his fathers, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. All the ways that people have tried to find themselves, to make themselves, to become their best self. Now, Jesus isn't making predictions about the future, but he clearly is no longer talking about life in the present world. The repayment of each person according to what they have done is further emphasis on the worthlessness of this world's riches when you compare it to your life. So here we are. We can't save ourselves. And Jesus' invitation to follow him liberates us from that. In fact, denying ourselves for Jesus' sake enables us to begin to realize that actually my life is more messed up than I thought it was. I really can't save myself. Even if I gained the world, even if I got the career I wanted, if, even if I had all the close relationships that I sought, and that one close relationship even, despite the reputation that I've built, because the ways by which you or me or I might think that we're gaining the world in fact, causes us to lose our soul. All the things that make us think we're strong in reality make us weak because we follow them and put ourselves under their control. Following Jesus actually offers us strength, enough strength to enable us to look at other people to look at our peers, to look at our group, our group at work, our group at school, our group in our neighborhood, to look at our portfolio, to look at our bank account, and say, you're not my life. You may be a good thing, but you're not my life. You're not my identity. You are not my soul. Friends, that kind of strength is ours if we're willing to lose our lives for Jesus' sake. If we will do that, then we can say to whatever it is that currently is dominating our existence, sorry, you're not my life. I've lost the world and gained my soul. Finally, I know that some here this morning are going through something really difficult in life right now. Or others of you have been through something incredibly difficult. And if you're not going through that and, or you haven't yet gone through it, through, through it, at some point, we all do. These difficulties are terrible. They're undeserved trouble. There are crosses that we must bear 
that we can't do anything to change. And to those of us in this situation, Jesus offers an invitation. Look at your cross in light of my cross. Rather than wonder, why has God let me down? Why do I have to go through this mess? Consider that Jesus Christ lost everything. He lost his job, his reputation, whatever money he had. He lost his friends. He was abandoned. He suffered and died the most undignified of deaths. And because he went through all of this, he conquered death. And God poured out the Holy Spirit on the church through him. And he reconciled all of us to himself through that act. If you're looking at your pain and thinking, God can't be doing anything good in my life right now, I invite you to think again. Because the good news of the gospel is that God does not abandon us in our suffering and loss. He redeems it. And in doing that, brings us through it. Because of his cross, he's not giving up on us as we bear ours. And finally, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're hearing this, I think you need to know this. If you are finding Christianity interesting because you think that, well, maybe this will give me a more comfortable and pain-free life, you're going to be disappointed. It just won't do that for you. But Jesus Christ offers you, Jesus Christ offers you something far, far better. Lose your life and then find it. Lose your life for me, he says, and I will give it to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, please pray with me. Lord, what does it mean to follow you, having lost ourselves? Indeed, what does it profit to gain everything possible and yet to lose our very core of who we are? You have saved us from that, Lord calling us to lose ourselves in you. Lord, may we be a community that is on that journey together. Amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.